Hello and welcome to the Watermark Search International podcast. On this podcast, we discuss leadership trends with experienced leaders on what is working, what isn't, and sharing experiences on how we can all improve as a leadership cohort. I'm David Evans. Let's dive into this episode on leadership agility. At Watermark Search, we believe that those with higher leadership agility have higher performance. On this podcast, we've had many CEOs share their experience, how they have adapted to a constantly evolving landscape. This got me thinking, how do we get some data? How do we get some science behind our philosophy? So we invited two of the most knowledgeable people I know in this area. I'm delighted to have Peter Berry, the Managing Director of Peter Berry Consultancy. He's an accomplished keynote speaker, facilitator and executive coach. Peter specializes in leadership development, coaching, change management, business performance. Peter's most recent book, The CEO Checklist, is a management guide to excellence in leadership, business and performance. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. We also have Dr. Ryan Sherman. Dr. Ryan is the Chief Science Officer at Hogan Assessment. Ryan is based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He has a PhD in personality and social psychology from the University of California. Dr. Sherman is an expert on personality assessment, leadership, and organizational effectiveness. He also has his own podcast, The Science of Personality. Welcome, Ryan. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, David. Thanks so much for having me. When we were talking about discussion and getting the three of us together, we were, we were rattling around some great ideas around how do we, how do, what's the best way to define leadership agility? And we had a great discussion around it. And the best one that we came up with was from People Matters. It's that, that those that can balance factors that drive organizational performance. Those that can read the situation, know when to push and pull and when to inspire and ultimately how to achieve high engagement and high performance. And through the work that Peter and Ryan have done, we've found four key attributes that we think are the essence or big contributors to leadership agility. Peter, maybe you can expand a little bit on some of your research in this. Thank you so much, David. So first of all, the approach we take is that leadership is consequential, measurable and improvable. And that's why we love using Hogan personality assessments and Hogan 360s. Leadership is the biggest driver of employee engagement, high performing teams and bottom line results. So leadership matters. And all of us have had experiences with bad leaders, good leaders, high performing teams, dysfunctional teams, and all of the analytical work uh, combining people and business analytics shows that a good leader can outperform ordinary leaders in terms of the employee experience, the customer experience, and delivery of the KPIs. So the research we found comes from our 360 data, and we looked at C-suite executives, so very senior people, who were achieving at the 75th percentile in our 360 benchmarks. In other words, the gold medal C-suite people. And there were four distinguishing characteristics or competencies that made them stand out from the rest of the pack. Number one, they are singularly minded around having an achievement focus. It's about results, it's about performance. They're very motivated around delivering on the purpose of the organization. Number two, they're very strategic, not just operational. So they have a two to three year lens. They can read the business ecosystem, that they can create the future. So whether it's strategy, long-term planning, short-term planning, setting the KPIs, they're very good with uh, measures of success. 
Third, which is interesting and a big part of our discussion today, they're inspiring. They can motivate people. They can work on morale. They make people feel valued. They make people, staff, feel as though they're part of social good. We're here for the bigger picture. We're impacting people's lives. And that goes, I think, to the level of employee engagement, which I'll touch on a little bit later. And the fourth one, which is really, really interesting, and it's been around for some time now, emotional intelligence, the soft skills, the EQ. So the self-regulation, the self-motivation, showing the empathy, building relationships, creating customer loyalty, employee loyalty. And increasingly, there's some research which featured Recently in the Harvard Business Review, soft skills are becoming more important than hard skills. You get paid for the hard skills, but it's the soft skills that give you that agility, that ability to to lead people in an ever-changing business environment. And the good news, David, is those four competencies can be taught because the best leaders are the best learners. And uh, that should inform leadership programs, coaching interventions, competency models, and it's, it, it would also help build the high potentials. You take the graduates at the age of 28, 30, and you're saying, well, where do you want to be when you're 40? You know, going down a technical stream or going down a people management stream. So uh, the research is fabulous. And uh, can I just congratulate you? This whole concept of agility has never been more important. Business disruption, uh, business intelligence, you know, the global market supply chains. It's never been more challenging. So leaders need to be agile. And uh, I'll talk later on about some of the research as to what constitutes an agile leadership and what's the opposite, a non-agile leader. We have some interesting data on that. It's so interesting, Peter, isn't it, that these attributes can be learned. And we have this ambiguous concept around leadership and what makes a good leader and what makes a bad leader, right? But ultimately, you know, we we should be judging the leader by their performance. What is their performance? And maybe, Ryan, you could share some of the science and the data behind how we should be judging a leader. Yeah, so uh, I think that's a really interesting question, David, and something we've been looking at at Hogan for a while. So a lot of the academic research on leadership, unfortunately, doesn't teach you a whole lot, and partly because of the way studies are done on leadership. So you can sort of understand naturally why somebody might want to do research on leadership this way. Well, let's go find a bunch of leaders. Let's assess them. Let's understand them and say, that's it. This is what it takes to be a leader. But the problem is that that kind of research, all you really are identifying is who becomes a leader, not who's actually effective at leading. And in our research, we find that there's a pretty key distinction there. There's some overlap between those two, but it's not very much overlap. Uh, Most of the qualities that make for an effective leader are not necessarily the same qualities that make for someone who's good at getting into leadership positions. So Peter described a whole host of qualities that are associated with effective leadership. Not all of those qualities are actually associated with getting into leadership roles. So uh, one of the things that we find, for example, is uh, people who are really good at sort of selling themselves, really pitching themselves uh, as, as individuals. They say things like, I can get you the results you you deserve. I can bring us to the profits that, that this company should be earning. In the United States, they say things like, I can make America great again. And those kinds of messages might resonate with a lot of people and get that person into the position they want to be in. But it's not necessarily related to them performing at a high level in that role. And, and we define performance at Hogan a little bit differently than most. We don't define it as getting into a leadership position, but we define it in terms of the success of your team. So 
That's the real way we grade leaders is how well is your team performing? If you're an effective leader, your team will be performing well. And I think with an eye towards team results, uh, you have a much better understanding of what it really takes to lead effectively. It's such an important distinction, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we see so many leadership books on pick a leader, I don't know, Jack, Jack Welch and his story. And when you look at the attributes of what made him successful in getting to be a leader, they're quite distinct from actually leading a high-performing team, right? We know it's about getting more engagement. We know it's about getting that discretionary effort. And we rarely measure a leader on their leadership performance. We measure them on their ability to speak in public or, or what they've done to the share price, right? But how consequential is their impact on that team, which then drives the next layer down, which drives organisational performance, right? When we're talking to leaders, when we're assessing leaders, Peter, you made a really interesting point before saying the best leaders are the best learners. So let's go back to one of your points around that, you know, inspiring and particularly that emotional intelligence. When you're doing these data and these assessments, how, how important is it that the leader or the individual is aware that they have these gaps and how can we help them improve on these gaps, on these attributes? We have a quote along the following lines. Leadership is about results. Teams deliver results. Judge the leader by the team. And that picks up on Ryan's perfect point just a minute ago. And we use three metrics if you're going to measure and improve leadership. There's the personality, the 360, and the team assessment. Apart from cognitive, they're the three primary ways that you can improve leadership capability. And we start from the proposition that first of all, a leader needs to be self-aware. If you're not self-aware, you're basically clueless and you haven't got any idea about where the gaps and deficits or with the dark side derailers may be. The second concept we try to work with when we're running leadership programs or coaching is to create self-mastery to become the best version of yourself. So what are the competencies I need to build? Is it time management? Is it challenging poor performance? Is it setting KPIs? If so, and that comes from the self-awareness, you know, through a good 360. So self-mastery then is the deliberate practice, the hard yards to really polish yourself and and uh, learn the competencies uh, that you need. And really, in the work I've done with Ryan Sherman, because they have a fantastic competency model, there's really three meta competencies for managers. There's leadership, you know, can you step up from running the trains to creating the future of transport? That's the difference between a manager and a leader. Emotional intelligence, are you rewarding to work with? Have you got social skill? And the third one is conscientiousness. And if you're a CFO, you need the conscientiousness. If you're an entrepreneurial leader, you could probably be a little bit lower with the flexibility and the spontaneity and the, the agility there. So we, we put it together as a package, Dave. It's self-awareness, self-mastery. Those two together create career success. The other thing we do with our clients is introduce what I call the three Ps. You've got to be clear about the purpose of the organisation why do we exist? How do we impact on people's lives? Uh, social good is now part of a balanced scorecard. Uh, secondly, you've got to be passionate. If, if passion doesn't come from the leader, it's not going to come from the team. So the motivation, the drive, the effort, the energy. And the third P is performance, outperforming your competitors, outperforming similar uh, benchmarks. And it is the, the self and hard skills. And ultimately, we know that good leaders drive employee engagement and employee engagement creates 
out of that employee experience, the retention and the performance. So it all comes back to leadership and the team being a reflection of that leader. When we're thinking about agility, right, I think one of the things that's nice about that concept is if you look at some of the attributes that Peter's talked about as being really critical for for success in leadership, those include uh, achievement focus, uh, those include socio-emotional kind of intelligence. And in many cases, those things are actually in conflict with each other, right? So we want our team to like us, right? If we're the leader, we want our, you know, if they're not going to work for us if they hate us, right? So we need them to like us. But at the same time, we also need to to push them to get results, and I think everybody who's spent any time in athletics has probably had coaches who were too hard and they've had coaches that were too soft and they, they each have their own strengths and weaknesses. But ultimately, the really effective ones are the ones who can adapt to those circumstances, can adapt to those situations and say, OK, in this situation, I know I can push you a little bit harder or in this situation, I really need you know people to pull together and, and to stay as one unit. And I think that's what's really nice about this concept of agility as it looks at things like at Hogan, we talk about getting along and getting ahead. In many cases, those are in conflict. And I think it's the same thing in, in a lot of times for leadership roles. There are conflicts. There's conflicting motives. And you have to be able to judge those and you know, behave in such a way that you can achieve all of the goals at once w- without compromising another. It's interesting, isn't it? We all, we all have experiences of good and maybe not so good leaders. And in my personal experience, it's been those that can read the situation. How do I get the best out of this individual and how do I get the best out of this team? And if a leader misreads that, it could be catastrophic. Or if they get that right, it could create such a momentum in the organization. And then if they consistently get that right, then we're really starting to changing performance cultures. Then we're starting to changing around the new yardstick on performance across the organization, not just in silos, right? And it's really Uh, insightful the way that Hogan puts this getting along and getting ahead now there's many layers to that we're talking to two experts in this space and there's a whole lot of competencies under it but this getting along piece is knowing when to get along knowing when to build that rapport knowing when to inspire people and then the other part is knowing when to get ahead right when is the time on how we we move this team when do we really need to dial up energy discretionary effort That tends to be, in my experience, when I'm interviewing CEOs, those that articulate that difference and give us several examples of knowing when to do that, that's, in my experience, how we can start to create a track record of high performance. Ryan, in your experience in coaching some of these leaders, if we're talking about people that can learn these behaviours, how how do we increase awareness? How do we help leaders out there to listen to this podcast to know what are the signs or what are the data can we give them? What what are the, some of the key takeaways that people can take from when they're going on this sort of leadership agility journey? The point you make there is exactly the right one. And, and uh, Peter mentioned something along these lines earlier as well, which is that uh, it all begins with self-awareness. If you don't know where you're at, you can't possibly know how to get to where you want to get to, right? You can think about it like a map, right? If I drop you on some island and you have no idea where you're at, but I tell you there's some goal you need to achieve, you just have to wander around and hope you get there, right? But if you know where you're at, you can know exactly how to get to the goal you want to achieve. And so that's where where self-awareness really comes in. And that's what we see as the most critical part of self-awareness at Hogan. So this starts with a with a standard personality assessment, like the ones we use at Hogan. This also starts with a, a 360 assessment, like our friends at Peterberry Consultancy put together, the Hogan 360. And when you have that, you, you really have a real sense of, okay, these are my strengths. 
These are the areas that I need to work on if I want to achieve certain goals. And it really paints the map for you to, uh, to achieving that kind of agility, becoming a much more agile leader yourself. Just to confirm what Ryan said, it starts with personality. You, self-awareness starts with personality. And when we work with teams, we talk about self and other awareness. And on the Hogan personality scales, for example, you'll often have from zero to 100 in any executive team on some of the scales, you know, extroversion, introversion, conscientiousness, flexibility. And you know, 80% of your problems in life are your people issues. That's what good leaders need to understand. And it starts with them being a good psychologist, being able to read other people and understand diversity. So, you know, the best leaders, like you just said, have that situational awareness. I was recently dealing with a very big infrastructure project here in Australia, uh, $2 billion. And the project director was absolutely frustrated with his senior team. They were blocking change. And we did the personality assessments and we found out, sure enough, they were all high on tradition, which means steeped in the past, all high on security, don't move my goalpost. And uh, the penny dropped. It was a light bulb moment. All of a sudden, we knew that personality was the root cause of blocking the agility <laughs> that the, the senior guy was wanting. So it's not that we had to then change their personalities, but there was a learned environment in which we could say, now we know you're resistant to change. We know your preferences the way you've always done it, but we're having a session today about innovation, change, being agile, thinking of new ways of working. So what we try to do is say the core of one's reputation is your personality. It is pretty hardwired, but the very best people have then got learned behavior or chosen behavior. And that package of the best bits of my personality and my learned capabilities give me my brand or reputation that makes me more successful. So encouraging to hear, and I hope other leaders out there can take this away as well. But what I really heard there is that we had a challenging situation in the organization. The leader was facing it, and he used data to create this awareness, not only for himself, but for his team. And then with that framework, they were able to set the scene, and now we can work on strategies and tactics and how we can move this forward. Right? And that's why, you know, Watermark Search International, we've partnered with Hogan to do our psychometric assessments because with this data, it can unlock so much information and how you can actually unlock higher performance, right? And I think that's that's really what we all we all want. And David, can I just finish that story? We were dealing with engineers. These guys were engineers, a big infrastructure project, you know, big tunnels and roads and bridges. So what they got was the data. They understood the Hogan data. You know, there was no debate or argument about that. So it was pretty good to give them that the intellectual reason for understanding the need for behaviour change. Let's look at it from another lens. What, what have you both seen when we're talking to a leader that may just not be able to capitalise on the situation? It could be contextual, it could be cultural, it could be a team, it could be anything. But then we present the data to them and we're supporting them, we're coaching them, but it's just not connecting. Regularly, we get called in from a chair and they say, David, my CEO is not working. I need you to change it. It's like, well, actually, what have we actually done to support this individual? How can we change this? How can we move things forward? And I'd really be interested in, Ryan, your experience and your team's experience on someone coaching these individuals. How do you start to sort of really diagnose what the challenges and opportunities are? And then is there a point where you go, this delta is too great. 
we're not going to be able to bridge that. Yeah, so I guess a couple of things I would say there. For us, we typically, when, I, when I'm working with an individual, I typically want to start with their values because I know that's the way I can connect with them. Peter just shared an example where he was talking about with engineers and the way you connected with the engineers was that they, they care about the data. Uh, other people might not, right? Other people may not be so interested in data. D- data and numbers don't really do it for them. And so if I'm using our assessments at Hogan, I'll start with, we have a values measure called the uh, motives, values, preferences, inventory. And that's where I really want to start because I know that's the way I can best reach that leader. If that leader is really motivated by what we call power or success or achieving a lot of results, then I would approach that coaching situation by saying, hey, look, if you want to achieve the kind of results I know you do, because I know you want to be successful, these are the steps you have to take to be successful, right? But if the leader's motivated by something else, maybe they're motivated by altruistic motives or, or values, then, then I'm going to approach it very differently. I'm going to say, well, look, how can we help more people? The way to help more people is by you understanding this and by you taking these steps to, to change your behavior in a way to help more of the people that you want to help, right? So to me, I really would approach it in a very individual way by understanding what motivates and what drives that leader and then what, how I can reach them to, to get them to change those behaviors. Now, to, to the second part of your question, you know, when, when is it too far? It's hard to draw a hard and fast line that says, okay, this is this is too far. But there's a fair amount of research, and, and this is one of our sort of lines that we've used before. The easiest way to change people is to change people. And so sometimes it is the case where you just say, you know what, this isn't working. We, we need to we need to bring in a new person here. And that can be really tough. I mean, there's lots of ways that organizations can go about doing that, of course. But I think entire consulting firms spend their <laughs> spend a lot of effort trying to make those transitions work out really well and work out really smoothly. But in that same case, I would still want to start with a new leader in the same position. OK, we need to start with an assessment. We need to understand how you're going to fit with this company, how you're going to fit with the culture. We're going to understand what kinds of things you're going to need to work on as a new leader in this position to to achieve the kind of results you want to achieve as well. I'm sure we have all have analogies in our professional life and probably our personal life where we go, we're just not going to change this person. (laughs) And so I think it's really around how do we support, how do we get data, how do we help them on that journey? How do we give them the opportunity to change and influence and increase their leadership agility? If we go right back to Peter's first point, the attributes that we define as high-performing leaders and those that demonstrate leadership agility can be learned. So it's whether they're willing to learn, how can we support them to learn, and how do we increase them on their own journey? But the, the difference is so great, and this is why I love my job, is that I get to interview leaders every day. If they get it right, the delta is significant. You know, it, it is game-changing for their own personal life, their team's lives, the organization's performance. And, and that's really sort of what, what motivates us. And I suspect Peter and Ryan getting out of bed every morning. And one of the ways we can do that is provide some data and some insight and then coaching them on that journey. But gentlemen, one last question for you. What would you say is the key takeaways for leaders on this journey, those that are trying to increase their leadership agility, get that discretionary effort from their team, create higher engagement? What would you say are the key takeaways that a leader listening out there on the podcast should take away from this discussion? I would say it's self-awareness as the platform for self-mastery to become that best version of yourself. And every week, David, I deal with dysfunctional behaviour between board CEOs or between CEOs and their teams. It's just never ending. And I get paid to come in and fix these problems. And it's all about a lack of self and group awareness. And I find that the 360 is probably 
as powerful a tool as you can have in, in, in pinning someone down. This is your reputation at a point in time. This is the behavior they like or don't like. And if I can back it up with the Hogan personalities, uh, in particular, it's the dark side. Why is someone you know, potentially derailing? It's always there in that dark side if you're going to get a poor 360, that correlation. I just think there's a lack of accountability in senior leaders. For example, they why don't they say, we want all senior leaders to be at the 75th percentile for their 360 data? We want the employee engagement data to be at the 75th percentile because we know that leadership pays. You know, it takes you straight to bottom line results. So 50% of organizations are still not using 360s. So leadership gets away without being measured. You know, there's no accountability there. And uh, they go around in circles. We know there's problems, but no one's got the courage to go and confront Fred, you know, this, <laughs> this terrible leader. So you've got to use data. You've got to use measurement. There's got to be the assessments. There's got to be the accountability. So, yeah, I think it starts with self-awareness and self-mastery. But, but it's a team decision. The organization's got to say we're all in this together. Yeah, and I would just piggyback off of what Peter said there. I to- totally agree that I think that, that self-awareness is, the, is that starting point. I think one of the beautiful things about a 360 for self-awareness is that not only can you understand how other people see you, you can also understand how you see yourself relative to those other people. So you can really understand how am I missing the mark? I think I'm like, this is the leader, right? So there's often this miscalibration. We think we're too tough or we think we're too soft and we can be totally wrong about that. And one of the beauties of a 360 is you can understand how your own evaluation of yourself is miscalibrated and you can sort of adjust uh, your, your calibration to, to see things more accurately and to take the, the, the actual correct steps to, to become more effective. Thank you so much for these wonderful insights. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. Peter Berry, Managing Director of Peter Berry Consultancy. Check out his latest book, The CEO Checklist, and Dr. Ryan Sherman, the Chief Science Officer at Hogan Assessment Systems. You can also have a listen to his podcast, The Science of Personality. That concludes the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the leaders sharing their experiences. If you're interested in hearing more, please subscribe and stay tuned to our publications from Watermark Search International.